first of three talks, Dr Kerry Thomas will be discussing the visual culture of South Wales from 1910 to 1945, using works from the Glyn Vivian collection, in particular paintings by Welsh artists Kerry Richards, Evan Walters, Alfred Jaynes and Augustus and Gwen John, amongst others, recorded in January 2014. This is the first of three talks. Um, I'm looking to century, really, the last hundred years of what's been happening in our area. And I thought the logical thing to do, given that I wasn't sure who the audience would be, um, is to look at it in three segments, chronologically. So each segment covers roughly a third of a century. You can see from the title slide there that in tonight's talk we're looking at the period 1910 to 1945. And there is a logic, really, for starting in 1910. Really, the Glyn Vivian as a story, if I can call it that, as an institution, begins around about that date. And technically, the foundation stone's laid in 1909, the building opens in 1911. And of course, this is the period when the art school is about to emerge as a very important place. So 1910 is significant for us in Swansea. It's significant for South Wales and the history of art in Wales as a whole. Tonight's talk will focus on painting primarily. That perhaps isn't a surprise because in the early 20th century, the, the dominant kind of art form is painting anyway. Um, the other thing I'd like to do just before we proceed is to thank a few people, and um, two people in particular. I want to thank uh, Tom Goddard and staff at the Glen Vivian for inviting me to, to give these talks whilst the gallery is closed. So, if nothing else, this series is a reminder of what, of the kind of richness that we have in the city of Swansea. And secondly, I'd like to thank Ellie, who, Ellie Dawkins, who's often sort of hidden behind the scenes. She's actually in the room tonight. Um, so I'm very grateful to her for all her help in helping me source all the images that you're going to see. Every single image comes, as I say, from the Glyn Vivian collection. Could I have the next slide, please? Okay, so the story, as I say, really begins in 1910, and it begins if, I, I mentioned a few people already in the present, if we had to name one person in the past, in 1910, it would be William Grant Murray. Here is an image of him by one of his students, Alfred James, who was going to emerge as a, as a major figure in his own right. Every slide I show you will have the accession date of the work when it came into the collection. I'm not going to mention it each time, that, that's too laborious, but if you look at the bottom of the image there, you can see I've got an abbreviation, 1952. So this work, this drawing, beautiful drawing by James, comes into the collection posthumously for Grant Murray. Grant Murray dies at the end of 1950, and the drawing actually is done by James after that. But James knew, knew Grant Murray very, very well and could produce this very lifelike drawing. If you look at the heading, you can see under the subheading I have the words Floriat Swansea. Going into the sort of temporary premises of the Glyn Vivian in the last few weeks, I'm reminded, as perhaps all of us are, if we look upwards, um, going into the temporary premises in the Guildhall complex, you will actually see carved there the words Floriat Swansea. It was used on the coat of arms in the early 20th century in Florence. It was used on the prospectus, May Swansea Flourish. 
Guildhall was opened in the 30s, but it was used even before that. So it's a reminder of the kind of <coughs> civic aspiration of Swansea, which became preeminent in South Wales and in terms of the culture of South Wales. And on there, I've got a quote for you from William Grant Murray. Now, this is Grant Murray in 1935. And as you can see, what he says is, is it possible? He poses as a question, really. Is it possible that Swansea may take a definite lead in founding a national art, so you know, national, um, or at least a Swansea school of painting? And further on, he sort of answers the question, cautiously perhaps, judging from the talent, so we'll come back to the talent later on, that has passed through the Swansea School of Art during the last quarter century, its realisation may not be too far distant. Notice he says a quarter of a century. So again, talking in 1935, he's thinking back to 1910. Why was he doing this? Why was he writing this? What was the moment? And 1935 is going to be a very key year for tonight's talk. Well, in that year, he organised an exhibition in the Glyndivian of former students of Swansea School of Arts, Art and Crafts, as its full title was. So it gave him the opportunity to think back to his arrival in Swansea 25 years earlier. So it was a 25-year period. And he also had this view, which has become very contentious, really, in our own lifetimes. And his view then really was, when he arrived in Swansea, and still in 1935, that there was no, such, no national art in Wales. There was no Welsh art. We have to be careful about how we think about that. But, but this is what he's saying. Uh, next slide, please. So, who, who was the talent, or, or some of the talent, that he was talking about in the 1935 student show? Well, here, here are examples by four of the artists, and a columnist writing at the time of the 1935 student show said the following at the top, that the Swansea show will be far more representative. What he was referring to if it was a he, we don't know who the columnist was, so it could have been a he or a she, um, was the fact that in the Glenvivian we had this exhibition of student work, former student work, and across the road in Alexandra Road, across the other side, in the Defet Francis Gallery, which is the top of where the old library was, was a show that had just closed, and that was contemporary Welsh art. And the view was that the contemporary Welsh art show was somehow less representative. Certainly only one of these four younger artists was included in the contemporary Welsh art show. That was Evan Walters, bottom right, who painted this painting. Probably some of you will know this painting quite well, Cockle Woman. But, but the other three, Kerry Richards, Alfred James, Vincent Evans, all who were significant students at the art school were not represented in the contemporary show. And to give you some more context for it, Kerry Richards, who becomes, of the names there, he becomes the most international, the most known within Swansea, within Wales, within the United Kingdom. He went on to represent Britain at the Venice Biennale in the 60s. Kerry Richards was given a solo exhibition in the Glyn Vivian in 1930. So by 1935, he'd already had a solo show there and he was in this student show as well. Evan Walters, who I mentioned a moment ago, he had an exhibition in the Vivian even earlier, being a little bit early generation, had a show there in 1920. 
And Alfred James down here on the left, who is painting Mervyn Levy, who of course was incidentally another product of Swansea Art School. <coughs> um, he'd had a show, or was going to have a show, as we're looking pre-1945, in the gallery, again given by Grant Murray in 1949. And in fact, it already exhibited in London. James had, had solo show in London in the 1930s. So these four men, and it is mostly men, it wasn't exclusively men in that 1935 student show, there were women beginning to emerge, but, but the, kind of, the major artists at this point tended to be this generation. So the student show, more representative, the contemporary exhibition across the road in the Deaf at Francis Gallery, um, less representative of the emergent generation that we're going to be looking at tonight. And that exhibition, the, the alternative exhibition, if you like, the, the, the contemporary Welsh show, which was shown at the National Museum as well, tended to favour the establishment artists of the day in 1935. And who were they? Well, they were people like Augustus John and several members of his family. In fact, um, other commentators felt that it was rather unfortunate. Evan Walters is one of the people that mentioned this. Um, that it was so lopsided in favour of Augustus John, the, the contemporary show. It also had quite a lot of work by David Jones, who we'll also look at tonight. Um, the late Innes, James Dixon Innes, who was a friend of John. So really it was Augustus John who was the dominant senior, senior figure. Cedric Morris was important as well. Um, next slide, please. Okay, so let's look at this slightly older generation a little bit more closely. And the first of them, of course is the man I've been referring to already some length, um, William Grant Murray. Murray was the same generation as Augustus, John and Augustus's sister Gwen. They were all born in the 1870s. Of course, Augustus and Gwen were born in Pembrokeshire. Murray, as you may or may not know, was born in Scotland, in Aberdeenshire. And his interview when he came to Swansea is legendary. If we think about how our attitudes today, perhaps, towards council policy on the arts, um, maybe it strikes a chord. But essentially, Grant Murray berated the council for the low standard of art in Swansea in 1909 when he arrived. You can see the various dates down the bottom there. Um, to cut a long story short, he got the job. He was so impressive and determined to put Swansea on the map and felt that there was so much potential here that, that, that he was appointed director of art for, for Swansea. What that meant was that he was, became the founding curator of the Glyn Vivian. So when it opened in 1911, he was there as the first curator. And he remained in post until his death in 1950, so for the whole of this period. Um, he also was principal of the art school across the road. And that's quite important for a synergy. I think one of the reasons Swansea is so prominent is that you have the gallery on one side of the road bringing major art, whether it was Welsh or art from elsewhere, and on the other side of the road you had the students. And the man, the link person between it was Grant Murray. So he was at the art college until 1943. The reason that is, as far as I can establish, was because he'd reached the retirement age of 65. So at 65 he finishes in the art school, but he, he manages to continue in, as curator across the road even later until 1950. So he's the dominant kind of founding father, the, the, the benign leader um, of, of a whole generation. 
The two paintings I'm showing you, um, he donated to the gallery in 1933. So just a couple of years before he talks about Swansea possibly emerging um, as the place where there was going to be a national school of, of art, of painting in particular. And the views are actually from his house. I don't know if you know that area, but it's quite near where some of you live. It's Richmond Road in Uplands. And so he's looking eastward to the one side of Swansea, which he calls business, the, the side for business, the docks area. And then he looks westward for what he calls Swansea for pleasure. So Murray, you know, from 1909 onwards, certainly in the 1930s, which, you know, for South Wales, the 30s was a very difficult time economically and socially, he, he continues to have this vision that this is the place where great art will eventually emerge, and it does, as we've just seen with people like Kerry Richards, Alfred James. So he sees that Swansea is a kind of complex place. He only planned to stay a couple of years, um, and he, you know, he stayed for, well, 40 years, and, and, you know, for the rest of his life. Um, the next, please. I mentioned the 1935 Contemporary Welsh Arts Exhibition um, on the other side of the road from the gallery. This, as I said, was dominated by the establishment artists, which they were really by the 1930s, led really by Augustus John. Uh, I also mentioned Innes was included in the exhibition. If you look at the dates, you can actually see, sadly, Innes was long since dead. He, he'd actually died 20 years earlier. But um, Augustus and James Dixon Innes, Augustus John, and, uh, as a pair, they became very close at the beginning of the period I'm talking about, 1910, 1912. Um, and they spent quite a bit of time painting in North Wales. So although I'm looking at, I know we're looking at the culture of South Wales, it still is relevant to, to, to the conversation we're having. You can see that all these pictures actually came into the gallery in the early 50s. But you know, Augustus was the dominant, Augustus John was one of the dominant figures in, in Wales, in, in, in the kind of contemporary art scene, really, in London as well. He was a major figure. The area of North Wales they were working in, and of course artists elsewhere in Wales would be aware of this kind of work, and they would have seen things like this, is, is Arene, it's, it's the sort of Snowdonia area. And what we've got, are, I've given you two examples by Innes, one by John, but if you look at them carefully, you can see that there is a kind of progression as you look through them stylistically. So although to our eyes now, you know, we may think of Augustus, John and Innes as quite traditional artists, they were actually quite cutting edge in, in Welsh terms um, at the beginning of the last century. And what you're seeing emerging from both men, and this is partly because they were working in Wales and partly in the south of France, there was a French influence that was coming through. If you think of Fauvism, if you think of Matisse and Durand working in the south of France, um, Augustus John and Innes are also working in the south of France. Augustus John meets Picasso in the early part of the century. So, yes, um, Innes from Llanetli, Augustus John from Tenby, but they are very gradually, well actually quite quickly, really between 1910 and 12, they are learning to exaggerate form, to exaggerate colour. And if you look at the final image, view in Wales, it feels more like the Mediterranean than, than, than our, our own climate, that the colour 
the shapes have become much more dominant. So in a way, Irenic for these two men becomes the equivalent. You know, for Cézanne, it's Mont Saint-Victoire. For them, it's Manith Arenic. Um, next, please. The 1935 <coughs> exhibition also included the work of um, Augustus's sister, Gwen, who again, you know, we could have a whole lecture just on, on, on her. Gwen was notoriously reticent about exhibiting, unlike her brother. Um, you know, we have the exuberant, I mean, I know it's a danger to go into brief descriptions, but, you know, it's the exuberant Augustus and the, the much more restrained Gwen John in terms of um, their outlook. And in a way, it's reflected, as you can see in the work here. So I'll give you some examples of their portraiture that have come into the Glyn Vivian over the years. Um, contemporaneous to the Arenic pictures, you've got Augustus John's painting The Tutor, and then later on, you've got his painting of Caitlin, which joined us in 1981. Caitlin, of course, who's about to, to meet and marry um, Dylan Thomas, and of course, this is his centenary year. So we have a connection there, another aspect of the kind of culture of, of Swansea. Um, with Gwen John, again, an early work from the late 1910s, which again joined 1949, so that's just before um, Grant Murray finishes as curator, and then a more recent acquisition, very delicate and beautiful. This is where the light might be a bit difficult, but we'll, we'll stay with it. Um, the very kind of pale but beautiful woman with a coral necklace. You'll see from the details underneath there that I remind us again that the Johns were born in Pembrokeshire, so they're from that part of South Wales. Um, Augustus in Tenby, um, Gwen in Haverford West. So if we're looking at the period from 1910 onwards, we, we, yes, we have Grant Murray beginning to establish an art scene um, with a team of amazing staff with him, and then developing this talent, this Floriat Swansea, this, this talent that is emerging. That happens in the early 20th century, but if you go back to when Augustus and Gwen were wanting to be artists in the 1890s, there was no kind of major art school. I mean, there were art schools. They, they were coming into existence in South Wales, but there was no kind of major place, really, to study in Wales at all. So we find them going to study at the Slade, both of them. Gwen, actually, was 18 months younger than Augustus, so you'll see, surprisingly, that she goes after him. And the reason is that their father wasn't happy for, for Gwen to go until Augustus was already there. So, you know, it's difficult at this point for women to emerge as artists, but, you know, Gwen is very much a trailblazer, um, as, as we know. Next, please. <coughs> okay, um, again, setting the scene for you. So another one of the kind of older generation, slightly older generation artists, a little bit younger now, but um, certainly born pre-1900, is David Jones. He was prominently featured in the 1935 Contemporary Welsh Art Exhibition. And on the left, I show you two of the set of ten woodcuts of the Deluge, as they were known, the wood engravings. These were produced for um, the Golden Cockerel Press in 1927. I mean, as we know, Jones is as much a writer as he is an artist. He's a very kind of complex and fascinating uh, man. Um, you can see from this that he was actually born in Kent, but of course he was of Welsh origin, so he was um, considered by Augustus, who was spearheading the 1935 Contemporary Exhibition, and, and others he's considered, and he certainly considered himself as Welsh. 
So he, he comes under that heading. He trained, as we see again and again, um, elsewhere. So he's training in London, at Camberwell and Westminster. His sort of direct connections with Wales, with South Wales, of course, are um, come in the 20s and early 30s at Capel Fiend, where he's working with, with Gill, and then on Coldy Island, which I'm sure some of you will know as well. His work is, I suppose, if you had to sum it up, it's visionary. Maybe there's a hint of that visionary with the Irenic pictures of, of John and Innes, but, but it, it is much more visionary in, in the hands and the mind of David Jones. And there is his beautiful um, picture, Petra, which dates to the late 20s. Petra was the daughter um, of Eric Gill, and he and uh, Petra and David were betrothed to each other, they were engaged. They didn't actually get married in the end. So this um, is the context. But again, hopefully the lighting doesn't make it difficult for you, but there's this sort of translucent... <coughs> in a way, David Jones is dealing with the, the sort of the spirit rather than the matter. There's this, you can sort of see through things, and the way he treats the still life elements and the body are almost the same. Again, quite visionary pictures. Came into the collection in 1947, so again, Grant Murray bringing, bringing the work into South Wales. Uh, next, please. I should have mentioned in the last slide the deluge actually came in earlier. They were bought directly, the deluge woodcuts, wood engravings, were bought directly from the 1935 show. So these come in, as you can see, 1935. Um, the Petra one comes in in the 40s. But actually, in a sense, it had come to Wales sooner, the Petra, because in 1937, just a passing reference for you, the Contemporary Art Society for Wales was set up in 1937. And as a kind of goodwill gesture, the Contemporary Art Society, Reed of England, um, which had started in 1910, so again, England, as you'd imagine, being ahead of the game, um, donated Petra to the Contemporary Art Society for Wales. So the first work to come into CASU, as we know it, and we've got some CASU representatives here tonight, um, what was this painting? Next, please. Okay, so um, we're almost at the end of setting the scene with the kind of senior generation artists that were represented in the 1935 show. And I've already mentioned him in passing, Cedric Morris, the surname Morris. Um, maybe a clue for you, again, if you're thinking of our locality, think of Morriston. Um, Cedric Morris actually belongs to the family that built Morriston, you know, the industrialist family of Morrises. Um, in fact, Cedric later on inherited the title of the baronetcy and becomes Sir Cedric um, later on. Essentially, though, he's active, although he's born in Swans, you can see he's born in Sketty, he's essentially active elsewhere. Again, think back to Augustus and Gwen. So he's studying abroad. Um, Gwen, of course, had gone from the Slade, Gwen John, had gone on to, to, to live and work in Paris and New Rodin and there's close association there. In the case of Morris, he goes to various of the French academies of the day, De La Clouse, Grand Chaumier, and the Atelier Colarossi, various times, either side of the First World War, before and after the First World War. After that, he sets up um, his own school of painting and drawing in East Anglia, as you can see there. 
But from our point of view, what is of interest are paintings in the Glyn Vivian collection by him. We've got Tran Maddock, which again is local to us in Gower, painted in the late 20s and comes into the collection in 1930. So again, a Grant Murray um, period picture. And then on the right, we've got a work that dates right to the end of the period I'm talking about tonight, um, Pontypridd, painted in 1945. So what is Morris's kind of reference and relevance to, to the 1935 show? Well, really, he was the exhibition organiser. Although Augustus John was the dominant figure, um, the, kind of the stage work, the organisational side, was largely done by Cedric Morris. And really, Cedric Morris is an interesting character as a painter in his own right, but he's also interesting because he's clearly a man with a social conscience, a social conscience, and social awareness. Um, again, go back to the dates, Clamadoc 1928, the exhibition we're talking about 1935. If we think of South Wales in the, in the late 20s, early 30s, again, we're thinking about the Depression. And Morris became increasingly aware and worried about this and felt that one of the duties of the artist, and certainly one of his duties, was to engage with that community and saw art, and again, this is relevant to today, really, isn't it, and how art can be used um, in, a social, in a socially positive way. He becomes very involved with what are known as the settlements of South Wales, particularly the Dowlai settlement near Merthyr. He also had contact with the Pontypridd settlement. You, you've got his painting there, Pontypridd, which, interestingly, was run by one of the um, emergent women artists of the period, who I'm not showing tonight, um, but her name was Esther Granger. So Morris, although he's essentially active outside of Wales, he's having these phases of coming into Wales and being very much involved with, with mounting exhibitions. Um, just after the war, just after the scope of this talk, he's involved in a, in a major radio debate about mm -hmm. Welsh art. That, that's in 1947. Next, please. Okay, so we now gradually shift our focus to, to the younger generation. You'll remember perhaps me saying that of those four examples of art school, Swansea Art School talent, one um, had been included in both exhibitions, in the student show, organised by Murray, but also in the contemporary Welsh art show, and that, that was Evan Walters. And really, Walters represented for many people, especially um, Grant Murray, um, he described him as one of the best students ever to come through the art school, as, as an example of the emergence of, of, of an art scene in South Wales, and particularly in Swansea. So what I'm showing you is what the man looked like in the self-portrait on the left. You'll notice some interesting things happening around his head, which I'll come back to. Um, how the candle is depicted, for example. This picture dates to the late 30s. And then on the right, an earlier painting dating to 1920, probably finished by 1921, um, which is... Um, another portrait picture of quite a different type. Um, Walters, of course, again is, as I say, local talent. He was born on the outskirts of Swansea at Manith Bach. He actually started as a student in the year that Grant Murray arrives, 1909, so it's the same starting point. Um, and again, as one might expect, goes on 
with Grant Murray's encouragement to further his training in London, eventually at the Royal Academy schools, um, just before, well, not just before, but at the start of World War I. So Walters is, is, is a key figure, and 1920, which is when he starts the painting on the right, is a key year for him. Um, by the way, at the end of the talk, if you want more information on Walters, the Walters expert is sat at the back of the room. Um, and I, must thank, I must thank Barry, Barry, for Barry Plummer at the back of the room for all, all his work on, on Walters. Um, 1920 is the year that, having finished his training, again, Grant Murray always was there wanting to help and build, build the situation. He, he offers... Um, Walters an exhibition, a solo exhibition in the Glenvivian, which happens in 1920. Highly successful exhibition. Um, and one of the outcomes was that he caught the attention of the lady who appears in the painting on the right, Winifred Coon Tennant. And this is something I haven't really touched on in the talk so far much, and, and, and haven't really got time to touch on this for, for very long at all. But the, the question of art and patronage. So yes, you need the art college, and you need the vision, for it to be a Floriat Swansea, but you also need you also need the patrons, whether they're small scale or large scale. And, and Winifred Kuntan was a major player um, as an art patron. She, of course, was from uh, well, she, she had several homes, but her major home in South Wales was at Caddickston Juxter Neath, to use its proper title. And we see her in this painting with her two sons, Alexander and Henry. So as a result of Walter's 1920 show, he's then commissioned, um, and she also buys other paintings off him, but she's commi he's commissioned to do this work. This painting intrigues me in a number of ways. Um, formally, if you look at the dominoes, I don't know if you can make these out, but the, this is a set of dominoes here. Um, they describe a letter W, which... Um, of course, you've got W for Winifred. Um, you've also got W for Walters. And that, that shape also <coughs> echoes this W at the back of the room. So you've got a kind of mirroring going on. You also can see the back of a chair. You're almost on top of the chair. I mean, that, that kind of cut-off treatment of a chair is, to my mind, very reminiscent of the kind of technique that Degas is using. So again, I think, although we're talking about the emergence of Welsh art, you know, whether it's Augustus John or Innes or Gwen John who goes to Paris, or in this case Evan Walters, as one might expect in the early 20th century, French art is quite an influence. I mean, another influence on, early influence on Walters, of course, is Sargent, who um, Walters actually had contact with as a student. So 1920 sees the kind of first, if you like, star pupil beginning to emerge from Swansea. And this is where the relationship, perhaps, with Swansea and London really starts to develop. Because within six or seven years, partly through the, the efforts of Augustus John, Walters has a very successful solo show. So seven years after his Swansea show, he has a major show in London at the Warren Gallery. Next, please. So, by the mid-twenties, we're having a new generation artist beginning to emerge. And I'd show you this 
as an illustration really of that. You can see a capture image at the top, 1926. I mean, 1926, of course, is a significant year in the history of, of Wales and, and South Wales in particular. It's the year, of course, of the general strike. But in terms of the Swansea context and, and the Glyndivian and, and Grant Murray, um, it is, of course, the year that the nationalised Edward of Wales comes to Swansea. And Walters becomes a major figure in that exhibition. The painting on the left here, which is um, of a collier, and we actually know the name of the collier, you can see William Hopkins, um, that is actually acquired by the Glyndivian in that year in 1926. Acquired in the same year is the sculpture on the other side of the screen. Now this is by, again, one of the establishment figures who I haven't mentioned so far, but that earlier generation of, of, of artists of Welsh origin, uh, William Goston John, who was born in Cardiff. And in fact, as I said, this talk is primarily about painting, so sculpture isn't going to appear much in this first talk anyway. Um, both works are acquired in 1926. But in a way, by 1926, the Goston John is beginning to represent the old guard, whereas Walters is representing the new. And new in that Walters is dealing with contemporary subject matter. You know, a painting a coal miner in 1926 is very contemporary. Um, a sculpture of Merlin and Arthur, perhaps not so much. And you'll notice that the work is actually already 30 years old. So it's a reminder of the kind of acquisition of, of works that come into the gallery that you can have, obviously, works from different generations. Um, Goscombe John was a major figure in the 1926 Ice That That's one of the reasons why it, it comes into collection at that point. So again, he's the kind of counterpart in sculpture to Augustus John's. They both happen to be John, don't they? William Goscombe and, and Augustus. Next, please. OK. So once we're talking about um, 1926, um, in a way we're talking about industrial society. And Swansea's changed, doesn't it, dramatically in, in the last 50 to 100 years. But um, certainly coal is a key element in the production of the society that we all perhaps come to or emerged from. So in the mid to late 20s, into the early 30s, Walters is depicting a series of images of the miner, which again, to our eyes, might seem rather traditional, rather conservative. But again, in the context of the time, of the late 20s, early 30s, this subject matter was actually quite new. It was industrial society, it was, it was the ordinary person that is being painted here, as opposed to perhaps the great and the good, which Gostham John as a sculptor was painting, repeat, sorry, sculpting repeatedly, and Augustus John was doing as well. I mean, Walters did do society portraiture as well, um, but, but there is this new element that is coming in here, and as I said, these should be seen against the background of the general strike. Obviously, some of our contemporary commentators, next please, um, such as Peter Lord, um, will make a particular issue of, of these, these kinds of pictures. And another example would be the major work in terms of scale 
by Vincent Evans, which joined the gallery in the 1980s. It's variously titled Family Life or Welsh Family Idyll. Evans um, certainly wasn't given a solo show at the gallery by Grant Murray, so perhaps he's it's a slightly more complex he was figure. Given one in 1928. He was. Yes. Thank you. He was given one in 1928. Um, but he's certainly not regarded in the same way. Um, as some of the other artists I've been looking at with you. Certainly Winifred Coombe Tennant was not convinced about the man and the work early on. Um, one work that did eventually come into the gallery in the early period was this one down the bottom here. It's known as the Snap Miners uh, Underground, 1936. Um, like some of the other generation, he also um, ends up going from Swansea to the Royal College of Art as well. So Evans um, is arguably perhaps a slightly more marginal figure than he certainly doesn't have the reputation that, that someone like Walters has as well. And there is his brother, who I, I can only mention in passing, um, Jenkin Evans, also from Astalavera, so they're from the Swansea Valley, who um, had also had ambitions to become an artist as well, but for financial reasons, the family couldn't really afford that. They, they were all the family was involved in coal mining, um, and they'd already assisted Vincent um, in his studies. And to put a second, slightly younger son, Jenkins, through that again wasn't really possible. Um, next, please. Okay, you remember me saying that 1935 is a kind of key year for um, South Wales and for Swansea. And as far back as 1962, Vernon Watkins is someone who is recognising that key kind of moment, that's 19, the 1930s, as a kind of moment of change. When art, if you like, goes up a gear now and its engagement with modernism is, is underway as well. So I've got a quote here for you from Vernon Watkins. This appeared in the Listener magazine in 1962. Um, just to set the scene for you, of course, Vernon Watkins, the poet, was, was part of this sort of special circle, if we can call them that, of um, artists, poets, and even composers um, in Swansea in the interwar period. And he was an astute observer of the kind of Welsh art scene. So. We had Grant Murray at the beginning of my talk, writing in 1935, at that moment when he's posing the question, you know, if there's no national Welsh art, is there going to be one? Are we in the process of building one here in Swansea? In a way, Watkins is feeling by 1962 that perhaps that's happened or is still happening. And what he says, what he writes, and this was a broadcast as well as a, a publication in The Listener, um, he says, certainly in Wales today, something extraordinary has happened. We are not living in a renaissance of painting, for the rich and varied works of visual art which Welsh painters are producing, as well as other painters who have lived in South Wales for a long time, have no precedent in this country. We are living, since approximately 1935, at the beginning of a tradition. 
So what was this tradition he was talking about? Well, really, it, you know, we could sum it up perhaps in one word, which is modernism. It was about modernist experimentation, primarily in painting. Um, Alfred James, who painted this post-war portrait of Vernon in 1947, um, was an example of that modernist experiment. We'll see that in a moment. But I've already touched on the wider circle. I think it's important mentioning that, that, that Swansea culturally was, was becoming very rich in the 1930s because you had James experimenting in paint, as we'll see. You had Dylan Thomas, this, you know, as a centenary year, experimenting in poetry. If you look at some of the shapes, lit the literal shapes of his poems and the kind of content, very, very original. You had him doing that in Swansea in the 30s. And the third person representing music, of course, was Daniel Jones, who again was being very experimental. And the, the kind of technique that, if I can call it that, that Jones, Daniel Jones was developing was known as complex meter. So a different kind of structuring. So they were all looking at their different fields in terms of language, the language of painting, the language of poetry, the language of music, and how these could be seen in what we would call a more modernist way. Next, please. So, um, remember the 1935 student show? Kerry Richards was included in that, so, and I've mentioned how he becomes such a major figure. So we need to think about Richards a little bit more now and his engagement with modernism. Top left is a work that came into the gallery collection very, very recently, look, 2013. Uh, it's a very early, and again, it gives us a beautiful context. It's a very early work. It's done when he's still a student here in Swansea. You can see he was studying here in the early 20s. It's a portrait of his father from 1923. His father was a tin plate worker, by the way, um, and family um, grew up in were from Dunvant, as you can see. His father was also very musical, which is interesting. And Richards himself became a very accomplished pianist. So in a way, that is the kind of traditional work as the background, but if you come forward now to the image bottom left, 1932, by this time Richards has continued his studies in London again, Royal College of Art, um, and is beginning to engage with continental, particularly French, modernism. So perhaps you can see, in, again, I don't know about the light in the room here, but I think you can see enough of the image to see perhaps the influence of people like Matisse um, on, the, on his work. 1932. If we go top right, we come to 1936, um, a work that came into the gallery in the 1960s um, called Relief Construction. This kind of work was really very, very cutting edge. Richards in the 1930s was not just leading in terms of what was happening in art in South Wales at the time. Think of some of the other images we've seen from the mid-30s. But he was leading in terms of British art and European art. Uh, a year before, that's probably 1936, but a year or so before he was involved with the Objective Abstraction Group um, which was exhibiting at Wetsvenor in London. Um, and probably in this year, 36, 37, he was involved with another group exhibiting um, known as the Surrealist Objects and Poems. So again, think of the kind of connections I was saying to, to the world of poetry as well. Bottom right, 
Um, another influence that Richards is absorbing and making his own is, of course, surrealism, which in you know, the 30s was also, whether it was Wales or London or, or the continent, you know, surrealism is, is the, the new, one of the new ways that modernism is manifesting itself. So we have surrealist Costa Woman, done in the year that war breaks out, in 1939. So artists such as um, Matisse, Picasso and Ernst are huge influences on Kerry Richards. And in fact, at one point, Kerry Richards owned um, quite a significant work by Max Ernst. Next. Again, 1930s. It's a small event in the history of Swansea, in the history of South Wales, but I think it's a really important one, and that is an exhibition by a group known as Unit One. They, again, were representing the British avant-garde, which I suppose was primarily English avant-garde um, in, in the period. And they were formed, really, through the efforts of Paul Nash. I've got an image top left. That is 1943, so technically it comes within the scope of the talk directly because of the date. The other works are slightly later um, by Hepworth and Nicholson, although the Richards there is also 1943. So um, the reason that i have been showing you these particular works is because these are the ones that the gallery owns, but they do <coughs> represent some of the key players within Unit 1. Uh, Nash, Hepworth and Nicholson. In a way, the Richards is a little bit of a cheat there because Kerry Richards was not a member of Unit 1. He was involved with some of these other groups, surrealist and abstract groups. Um, but the reason I put him in is because the picture there is called Homage to Henry Moore, and Henry Moore was a member of Unit 1. Um, that exhibition came into the gallery at the beginning of 1935, and perhaps as you might imagine, given the kind of public taste of 1935, it was not well received in the local press. And we, we know this because Grant Murray, for 40 years, diligently kept these massive um, volumes with all the newspaper cuttings of the period. So we have a wonderful kind of insight into, into the, the whole period that I'm talking about. And the Glyndrid was the only venue in Wales that the Unit 1 exhibition came to. Um, you know, Shown in London, of course, but it, it only comes, it sort of bypasses the National Museum in Cardiff. You know, so I haven't mentioned the National Museum much at this point. You know, in terms of the early 20th century, Swansea, the Glyndon is much more significant, I would argue, than, than, than the National Museum in many ways. Um, you know, the, because of that synergy with the art college here, you know, there were special things happening down here. Join us again to listen to our previous Glyn Vivian Artist-in-Residence, Zan Andrea, talking about her practice and working methods. 